to the worship of God in this place this morning. God willing, we meet again this afternoon at 5 p.m. and next Lord's Day at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and all Eastern Daylight Saving Time and all go sorry, Central Daylight Saving Time, sorry. Um, and that, of course, God willing. Then um, also the Reformation Presbyterian Church Australian Presbytery met Friday night and Saturday morning. The clerk, Neil van der Wehr, will be producing a brief report, which I'll draw to your attention um, once that's been uh, published. But just two things of note. Uh, first of all, um, we received another minister to, as a member of the presbytery, a pastor, George Lacey. He lives in Virginia, about an hour from Culpeper. Um, we've had a lot of interaction with Mr. Lacey over the last several years, last two, I think coming up three years, and um, he made application to be received as a pastor uh, and a member of the presbytery, and we're very thankful for that. He's a godly man, a good man, and um, that was effective immediately yesterday, so um, yesterday our time. So we have a new member to the presbytery, um, and then also... Um, looking at the presbytery, has been looking at questions of qualifications for the ministry, as well as matters relating to abortion and things that flow on from that, and papers are being prepared. Um, other business was attended to, mostly routine, and there were some items dealt with in closed court. Um, nothing untoward, um, but uh, some of those matters will be able to be made public in due course. These are all the notices. The call to worship this morning is Psalm 8 and verse 9. Psalm 8 and verse 9. And in fact, there is just one other thing, which while I think of it just before we uh, commence with the call to worship, um, I've been looking a lot at the subject matter to be dealt with in the preaching. Uh, God willing, when we finish our series in the afternoon of the devotional use of the Psalms and we are I think two, maybe three sermons from the end of that series. Um, I'll be starting a detailed exposition of 3rd John, the third epistle of John. And then in the mornings, once we finish this series on keeping the heart with all diligence, um, I'm planning on commencing uh, an, exposition, an expositionary series on 1st John under the broad banner or the broad title um, 1 John 1 verse 4, that your joy may be full. And I'll explain more about that uh, as we get closer to the day. But God willing, when we finish this series on keeping the heart with all diligence, um, I'm planning on going on to 1 John in the morning, and before that we'll start 3 John in the afternoon. The call to worship this morning is Psalm 8 verse 9. O Lord... Our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Well, let us commence the worship of God with prayer. Let us stand to pray. Our gracious and eternal Father, we pray that we might see something of thine eternal glory, the incomparable excellency of thy being, of the majesty and perfections of thy person, that thy name, uh, how excellent thy name is in all the earth. And all we pray for grace to approach unto thee then, glorifying thee, 
worshipping thee in the beauty of holiness and coming into thy presence, uh, seeking to offer praise unto thee and to worship thee according to thy word. We pray for thy blessing upon thy word to our souls and that the Holy Spirit would take of thy truth and make it effectual to us. We thank thee and bless thee then for thy many mercies. We thank thee that thou art he who saves to the uttermost all that come unto thee through thine only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We confess that our sin and our iniquity doth prevail against us, and we pray that thy hand would be upon us for good. O do thou hear us then, we plead. We pray that we might be conscious of thy presence with us. For Jesus' sake, amen. We read the word of God, reading Isaiah chapter 39. Isaiah chapter 39. Isaiah chapter 39. <clears throat> At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that he had been sick and was recovered. And Hezekiah was glad of them and showed them the house of his precious things, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment and all the house of his armor and all that was found in his treasures. There was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah showed them not. Then came Isaiah the prophet unto King Hezekiah and said unto him, What said these men? And from whence came they unto thee? And Hezekiah said, They are come from a far country unto me, even from Babylon. Then said he, What have ye, sorry, what have they seen in thine house? And Hezekiah answered, All that is in mine house have they seen. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not showed them. Then said Isaiah to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days come, that all that is in thine house, and that which thy fathers have laid up in store until this day, shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. He said, Moreover, for there shall be peace and truth in my days. Amen, and may the Lord bless to us that portion of his own holy word. Well, we sing to God's praise in the words of Psalm 105, Psalm 105, verses 16 to 22. And in this portion of the psalm, uh, continuing on with a record of the history of God's dealings 
with the Egyptians um, when Moses had gone to Pharaoh uh, to say the Lord had commanded that Pharaoh let his people go. Psalm 105, verses 16 to 22. He called for famine on the land, he brake the staff of bread, but yet he sent a man before by whom they should be fed. In Joseph, whom unnaturally sell for a slave did they, whose feet with fetters did, uh, they, fetters they did hurt, and he in irons lay. To God's praise. He called for famine in the land, he break the staff of bread, but yet he sent a man before by whom they should be fed. In Joseph, who man naturally sell for a slave did there, whose feet with fetters they did hurt, and he in irons lay until the time that his word came to sent the king and did command that he enlarged should be he that the people's ruler was did send to set him free a lord his family, he raised him as most fit to him of all that he possessed. He did the charge commit that he might at his pleasure bind the princes of the land and he might teach his senators wisdom to understand <coughs> we read the word of god reading ephesians chapter 4 Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> we'll read then the word of God. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, 
that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men, unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it? but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till all come, till we all come, in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about. <clears throat> with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working, in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk, not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbour, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labour, 
working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Amen, and may the Lord bless that portion of his own infallible word to us. Well, let us again seek the face of God in prayer. Let us stand to pray. <laughs> Our gracious and eternal Father, we have sung of thy dealings with Joseph of old in preparation for the great famine that arose in Egypt. In thy dealings we shall be singing of, if thou art willing soon, uh, with the Egyptians after their refusal to let thy people go. And all oh, that we would be reminded that thou knowest the end from the beginning, that thou dost do all things well, and that thou dost prepare the way ahead for thy people, for thy church, and for the testimony of thy truth. And we pray that thy blessing would be upon that testimony to thy truth uh, that has been raised up in our midst, and that thou would be blessing thy word to us, that we would no longer be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but that uh, we might come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, and all oh, that we might speak the truth in love one to another, and that uh, we might uh, grow up into Christ in all things, who is the head, even thee, O Lord, our Lord and Saviour. And all oh, we thank thee for thine effectual work in the souls of thy people. We pray that thou would be working in us to will and to do of thy good pleasure, making us willing in the day of thy power, granting us grace to look unto thee in the midst of the years, and that thou would be enabling us to see that without thee, O Lord, we can do nothing. But order thou work in us to will and to do of thy good pleasure. And our Father, we thank thee for all that thou hast undertaken uh, for thy people. We thank thee for the glorious provision of so great salvation, for thy word set down and preserved through thousands of years of time, from all the assaults of the powers of darkness, of thine and thy people's enemies, and all those who would seek to subvert or overthrow thy truth, and who would seek to subvert or undermine uh, <clears throat> thy word. We thank thee that thou hast preserved it according to thy promise, and that thy word shall be found in the midst of thy people. We pray for grace then to take heed thereunto, as that sure and certain rule of faith and life, yea, the only rule of faith and life, that sole supreme authority uh, in all matters of faith and life. And we pray for grace 
to ever be submitting to thy truth, not by constraint, uh, not begrudgingly, but willingly, out of love for thee. We pray for Pastor Lacey, received as a member of the presbytery. We thank thee for him, and we thank thee for the gifts and graces thou hast given him, and for his family, and uh, we pray that he might be used of thee in thy church, in the preaching of thy truth, in the building up of the saints, in the faith once delivered to the saints, in, the, the, in seeking to honour and glorify thee, and that thou would be strengthening him and enabling him to preach boldly as he ought to preach. We pray likewise for Pastor Van der Wel, that thou would be enabling him to preach thy word faithfully in all its fullness, to shun not to declare the whole counsel of God. And we pray, O Lord, that uh, thou would be raising up many more men to preach thy truth in our day and in our generation. We pray that thou would be strengthening us here, building up this congregation, adding others to our number. We thank thee, O Lord, for those who, of us who do gather. We pray that thy blessing would be upon thy truth to our souls, that we might be built up in that faith once delivered to the saints and strengthened in the inner man to do thy will, to witness a good confession before the sons of men and to walk in loving, humble obedience to thy truth. We pray particularly uh, that uh, the testimony of thy truth would go forth into this community and in amongst the people amongst whom thou hast cast our lot that we might be salt and light, and that we might uh, bring thy word to others, grant us grace and opportunity to speak a word in season, and may we ever be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us. And all oh, that we might all be put in possession of that hope which will not make us ashamed and of which we shall not be ashamed of in that great day of thy glorious appearing. Even hope in thee, O Lord, alone, and trust in thee alone unto salvation, believing upon thee with all our hearts. We pray that uh, thou would grant us grace then to wait upon thee, for they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. We thank thee for the measure of recovery from illness and sickness that thou hast granted from physical infirmity, and we pray thy hand would continue to be upon us all for good. We pray for thy blessing upon our brethren gathered in other places, some gathered in isolation, some gathered in congregations. And we pray particularly for those who are gathering as families and maybe one or two families, one or two households here and there, that thou would be adding others to their number and granting that they might enjoy something of the communion of the saints and fellowship one with another. And we pray, O Lord, then that thou wilt hear us, Grant us grace to go forward, waiting upon thee, trusting in thee, looking not to ourselves, but unto thee alone. As we come now to the preaching of thy truth, we pray that thou wilt grant us grace to, pre uh, to receive the preaching of thy word, to hear thy word with the hearing of faith, and that thou, blessed Holy Spirit, would come and take of the truth of God and make it effectual to the souls of every one of us and those that shall hear through the recordings and those who are hearing through the live stream. We pray, O Lord, that thou would grant thy servant much grace and help in the preaching 
and exposition of thy word, and that he would shun not to preach the whole counsel of God, keeping back nothing that is profitable from the people. Hear us then, we plead, pardon our iniquity, transgression, and sin, and have mercy upon us. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, friends and brethren, if you would turn with me, please, in your own Bibles to the book of Proverbs, uh, to the book of Proverbs, and to chapter, chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 20 to 27. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 to 27. We'll hear then the word of God. My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a froward mouth, and perverse lips put far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee, and ponder the far path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand, nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. Amen. Well, we come then to um, our series on keeping the heart with all diligence, Sermon 8. The objective application of the scriptures essential to every aspect of life and uh, to, our, to uh, the concluding uh, sermon on this first part of this series. We've concentrated over seven weeks on the first part of this section, verses 20 to 22. Um, we have considered a number of things concerning this passage, the great necessity of attending carefully and giving close attention to the word of God. Verse 20, uh, words, the content, um, incline thine ear unto my sayings, uh, the sayings referring to the exposition and application obje objectively of the content. And then the necessity of constantly being exposed to the word of God. Uh, let them not depart from thine eyes, but not merely being exposed to the word of God uh, through the reading of the word and the pre hearing the preaching of the word of God, but laying these things up in the heart, keeps them in, keep them in the midst of thine heart. The, vast in, the, the great importance of meditating upon, thinking upon the truth of God, and actively obeying from the heart, not just, uh, not just rendering unto God an outward obedience, but from the very heart out of love for him. Um, keep them in the midst of thine heart. And then the effect and consequences of these things, their life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. Life in the context of eternal life. Uh, with the word of God, blessed to the soul, comes everlasting life, saving union with the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the Lord's people made willing in the day of his power and submitting unto that righteousness which is of God by faith and health to all their flesh. Obedience to the truth of God affects every aspect of life. 
and uh, we've dealt with some of these things, health in terms of our spiritual health and well-being, and then health also in terms of our physical well-being and the promises of God in relation to those things. And so there are some of the things that we have already looked at. Well, in thinking further upon this series and um, looking at, well, what is going to be the best way to uh, tackle the remaining part uh, of the passage before us, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. That's essentially, if you like, the central verse and the one that we are going to be concentrating our attention upon, God willing, shortly in some detail. I thought it important that we went back over some things we have touched upon, but dealing with them in more detail. And that is particularly how we apply the scriptures in all aspects of life. I've said that uh, the objective application of the scriptures is essential to every aspect of life. It is essential to the keeping of the heart with all diligence, the guarding of the heart, it is essential to our spiritual health. It is essential to the mortification of sin, verses 24, 25, and 26. It is essential to steadiness and stability in the Christian life, um, uh, in, in the Christian life, verse 27. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left, remove thy foot from evil. And so I thought it important that we spent our time this morning looking at at least four uh, at least four aspects of the application of the word of god to every aspect of life how then do we use the scriptures in keeping the heart what are the ways in which we are to approach the scriptures and taking if you like the broad heading of word and sayings look at the application of these things and all of course god willing so, first of all, if you would turn with me, please, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. Now, the broad context, verse 6, first of all, the broad context is the Lord's teaching his disciples concerning the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They went on, first of all, to make the mistake that he thought it was because they had brought no, that he, they thought the Lord had said these things because they had brought no bread. But then in verses 11 and 12, which we will also read, he explains what he means. So we read in verse 6, Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And then in verses 11 and 12, how is it that ye do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, but that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And then over in Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, and verse 15, and again, this is in the same context, um, in the same context as previously explained, 
And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod um, and of the leaven of Herod. <clears throat> and then over in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, and verse 1. Um, verse 1. And in verse 1 of chapter 12 of Luke, the Lord expands on what he was saying um, uh, that we've read in Mark 16, uh, sorry, Matthew 16 and Mark chapter 8. He says in verse 1, In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Well, why have we read these um, four portions of Scripture in connection with these things? Well, we've read these four portions of Scripture in connection with these things because it sets before us a very important principle when it comes to the, to, uh, the keeping of the heart with all diligence and the objective application of the Word of God to every aspect of life. Now, I am going to come back to this subject when we get, and this particular part, uh, point, and this particular point of application, when we come to verse 27, turn neither to the right hand nor to the left. So, uh, when we get there, I'm going to be going into more detail, God willing. But the point is this, and the point the Lord is driving at is that the doctrine, the teaching, the content and body of teaching that goes into the ears, through the ears, into the understanding and the heart uh, that affects the soul and every aspect of our being is going to have a profound effect upon how we then live. And it doesn't matter whether it's the leaven of Herod, which is the things taught, Herod there representing the state and the secular world, the things taught and said and emphasized in the secular world. The Pharisees uh, are put there for those who go beyond Scripture, who require more than Scripture requires, who teach things that Scripture does not teach going beyond Scripture. So numbered amongst those would be those, as the Lord said, which is hypocrisy, who will teach for commandments the doctrines of men, they'll come up with a series of rules a mile long, some of which may have some basis in Scripture, most of which will, keeping of which will tend only to Pharisaism, and in so doing, they set aside the commandments of God. It is the commandments of God, the Ten Commandments, that are our rule of faith and life in the application of them. They warn us what we must not do because to do those things forbidden would be to sin against God and the things that we must do because in doing those things by the grace of God out of love for God, um, we are demonstrating our love for God and we are walking in righteousness. We're walking in righteousness as we'll see, Lord willing, when we come particularly to our series, expository series, on First John. That's not all we'll be seeing. There are many other things. But the point is, the Pharisees are put there and the things the Pharisees taught that go beyond Scripture. Requirements set upon men and women, boys and girls, that God has not set upon them, going beyond Scripture. And then the Sadducees are put there for those who deny 
cardinal doctrine, central things taught in the scriptures, and fall short of where scripture, um, where scripture stops. They fall short of scripture. They turn to the left hand. To turn to the left hand is to do less than required by scripture. To turn to the right hand is to do more than required by scripture. And so when it comes to the keeping of the heart with all diligence, when it comes to taking heed to the words and to the sayings, to laying them up in our hearts and keeping them constantly before our eyes, we mustn't only have the truth of God and the word of God, but we must be conscious of the influences that can be brought to bear that will either steer us away from Scripture to the left hand, so we do less than Scripture requires and less than God requires, or to the right hand, going beyond Scripture. And then, in hypocrisy, professing to outwardly obey the things that God has commanded, but from the heart not obeying them, because in teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men, they that teach such things, set aside the commandments of God, as our Saviour himself uh, emphasised. And so what happens? You end up in confusion, you end up in uncertainty, you end up with all kinds of questions, you end up thinking that you're doing the will of God when in fact you're not. You, think, you end up thinking that uh, you are actually giving diligence in the keeping of the heart and you're not because part of the keeping of the heart is keeping ourselves from the influence and effect of error. Whether it's error taught in the name of Christ or whether it's taught, error taught in the name of the state. We are, to not to, we are to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Um, and we are to come back firmly with the testimony of Isaiah in mind. If they, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And as the Apostle Paul, um, uh, 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 as the Apostle Paul had what he was taught and uh, what he was emphasizing... Um, uh, tested by the uh, Bereans, verse 10 of Acts chapter 17, and the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night um, unto Berea, who coming thither went up into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble, these Jews were more noble than those, those Jews in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. Um, whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, also as of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. And so that is the approach that we're to take. We're to come to the preaching and reading and hearing of the word of God and the things that are taught. And we're not to be ashamed. And I urge you not to be ashamed of examining everything you hear by the testimony of this book. Everything I say should be tested by the testimony of this book. Everything you read, everything you hear. And it doesn't matter whether it's assertions by the civil authorities, whether it's people speaking in the name of Christ, whatever it is. Whatever it is, it must be tested by the word of God. So the first lesson to learn then in the objective application of the truth of God is to approach the word of God with these things firmly in view. I wish, by the grace of God, neither to come short of the mark set by God in his word. That is, I want to avoid the effect and consequences of the leaven of the Sadducees. 
I do not want to go beyond Scripture and fall prey to the doctrines and commandments of men which ultimately set aside the commandments of God and so stray to the right hand. I don't want to fall prey to the hypocrisy of professing one thing with my lips and living another thing in my life and having another sentiment and disposition in my heart. What comes out of our mouth what is done with the various members of our bodies, what is thought in our minds must be and always will be an accurate reflection of what ultimately lies in the heart. Out of the heart, our Saviour says. So that's the first principle. Beware, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of the Sadducees and the leaven of Herod. A brief word of application, then we'll go on to the second principle that I want to look at. Uh, so, a brief word of application. So, when it comes to the mortification of sin, when it comes to the mortification of sin, the Sadducees of the world, the Sadducees of the church will say, well, you've got to simply let go and let God. And the reason you're sinning, and the reason you sin with your lips and your eyes and your hearts, and the reason you sin with your hands is you're not letting go and you're not letting God work in you. And if only you would do that, then all would be well. In other words, they take a passive, submissive view of sanctification and the mortification of sin, the keeping of the heart, because ultimately that's what it is. We'll come to that when we get to verse 23, God willing. So the first thing is then, um, turning to the left hand, is to say we're passive in these things. Just wait for God to do something. Just wait. God will work and all will be well. And all the, the reason you haven't made any progress, oh, it's a lack of faith. You haven't been, you've been trying to do things and you've not been letting God do the work. So just let God do it and it'll all be fine. You just sit there passive and one day you'll wake up in the morning more sanctified than you went to bed. Well, that is not what the word of God teaches. That's going to the left hand. And then there are those who go to the right hand and they'll give you a great big long list of rules you mustn't drink alcohol, you mustn't smoke cigarettes, you mustn't do all these things. I'll give you a great big long list of rules. Now, it all seemed to be a really good idea to them when they made them, and they thought, well, that's going to protect us from sin. That's going to protect us from sin. Well, a list of rules never protected anybody from sin. The mere rules themselves were, did, availed nothing. But what's the danger of that? In so doing, just as the Pharisees did, who taught for doctrines the commandments of men, they invented all sorts of rules and all sorts of ways of getting around the demands of the moral law, for example, the fifth commandment, in connection with their duty and disposition toward their parents, and they uh, came up with all these ideas and ways of circumventing the, uh, the requirements of God, and they went beyond Scripture. And if we, if we frame our lives around a set of rules that might seem reasonable, they might seem plausible, and they might seem to have some basis in Scripture, what is going to be the end result? The end result will be hypocrisy and Pharisaism. And the end result will be an, a despairing attempt to obey all the rules and all the strictures that have been invented by men and ultimately we will find ourselves worn out and brought to despair. Now I'm not saying there aren't a set of rules to be obeyed which are set down in scripture 
I'm speaking about those things that are not founded in Scripture, though they might, um, though they might um, have some, you know, might give some impression of being founded in Scripture. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 20, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men? which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will-worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honour to the satisfying of the flesh. What does Paul say the end result of that kind of approach to the Christian life is? He says, what does he say? Which are to perish, which all are to perish with the using. They lead to misery and they can lead to perdition. Why? because people are relying on their obedience to those things as the grounds upon which their hope is fixed. And when they have no success in the matter of their sanctification, they blame the very thing that... They blame the very thing that will actually help them as the cause of their problems. Because they are not taking heed to the word of God. They've built this enormous great list of do's and don'ts. Now, the Word of God has, contains the serious and significant instruction about what we are to do and what we're not to do. In the providence of God, um, it fell this morning to read Ephesians chapter 4. And in Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul begins to deal with the subject of the mortification of sin, sanctification. And what does he say? He says, put off the old man. And put which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and put after, put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Repent of the works of the flesh and repent of the sin. Repent of sin and walk in righteousness. Put on the new man. There's nothing passive about that at all. Put off active. Put on active. But then the Apostle Paul goes on to explain what he means by it. Well, You've been given to lying, stop lying and speak the truth in love. You've been given to stealing and dishonesty, stop it, repent of it and start working actively with your hands that you may have to give to those that have need. You've been prone and given to corrupt communication coming out of your mouth, well stop it and speak the truth in love. You've been unforgiving and you've been harsh and you've been unrelenting and uh, you've been censorious and you've been critical in every aspect of your thinking concerning others, what's he say? Forgive one another as Christ also forgave you. That's speaking of active, deliberate obedience to deliberate injunctions, commands and instruction set objectively down in the word of God. So when, I'm, when we say that the doctrines and commandments of men, the list of do's and don'ts, uh, when they're, they're in the inventions of men, even if it might sound as if they had some, um, some basis in Scripture, perhaps once upon a time, that we're to avoid those, we're not saying it doesn't matter how then we live. It doesn't matter how then we keep ourselves. When we come to verse 23, I'm going to be going back into these things in more detail. So the objective application of the Word of God to every aspect of life 
involves what? It involves a gracious, loving, active obedience to the principles set down in the Bible. That's the first point. Second point, the content of what we actually believe is also critically important to our spiritual health. What you actually believe and what informs your thinking and what informs your disposition toward the Lord God Almighty, what actually informs your understanding of the way of salvation and how then we're saved is of critical not negotiable importance. We'll turn over then to the epistle, the pastoral epistles of Paul. We're going to look at um, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and then we're going to look at um, Titus, and then we're going back to the book of Acts. So, first of all, in 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 6, sorry, verse 7. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. And we're reading down to verse 11. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm, but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. Now, the point of application here is this. When Paul says the law was not made for a righteous man but for the lawless and disobedient, he's not saying that the righteous have no obligation to obey the law of God. We do have an obligation. Our Lord says, if you love me, keep my commandments. But he says that, that, that a particular application and use of the law of God that's the moral law, the Ten Commandments, is to expose wickedness and sin. To expose wickedness and sin. Um, and to show the wicked and the ungodly, the lawless, where their lawlessness lies and to give them an objective basis to know what their sin is, just as it applies to all of us. You want to know what your sin is? Turn to the moral law of God. Any breach of that law in thought, word, or deed is sin against God, the wages of which you earn and accrue to yourself is everlasting death. That is the wages of sin, and all sin is the transgression of the law of God. And so the Apostle Paul says at the end of verse 10, if there be any other thing contrary to sound doctrine, contrary to sound doctrine, and that sound doctrine in the context of First Timothy chapter 1 and verse, verses uh, 7 through uh, 10 is the application of the law of God to the sins of the hearts of mankind, men in general and men, and of course speaking generically, referring to men and women uh, individually as well. 
And so what is taught concerning and what we understand concerning the law of God is going to have a profound effect on our lives. It's going to have a profound effect on how we keep our hearts, what we do and don't allow, the care with which we maintain our thoughts. We're coming to that in our fourth point or fifth point. Um, uh, we're coming in our last point. We're coming to that in our last point. But you see, if people come and teach you, well, you're not under law, you're under grace. The Ten Commandments don't apply. Other people teach and say, well, it's only the commandments of the Lord himself specifically reiterated, only those ones apply. Well, the problem they have is he reiterated all ten of them, not just one, not just nine of them or six of them, or one of them, depending on who you listen to and who you believe. And if they tell you that, um, that you, you don't have to worry about the Ten Commandments, that's an old test, old, that, that's, that's from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they're under law. In the New Testament, we're under grace. And um, when it says that um, they, uh, they that are, are under grace have no obligation to obey the commandments, we're not under law, but we're under grace. There are people who teach that. You hear it all the time. Very rarely uh, do you go for a period of time without hearing that kind of thing being taught. That's utter nonsense, to put it bluntly. When Paul says we're not under law, we're under grace, he means if you're a Christian, you're no longer under the condemnation of the law. You're under the grace of God. You've been forgiven your sin. Your sin has been pardoned. And he goes on and shows that that's what he actually means because he then goes on and says, if you yield your members, servants of sin... That is the transgression of the law of God, objective, uh, objectively defined, and, it's, uh, and what is sin is objectively defined in the, breaching, in the breaking of all of the commandments, any and all of them. It's all defined in Scripture, objectively. If you yield your, your members' servants of sin, then you're un, you're, you're, you are living in unrighteousness. You're not a Christian. As distinct from indwelling sin, we're talking about reigning sin. And then he says, in contrast with this, those that are saved, that are under grace and who are not under the condemnation of the law because they've been uh, effectually called, wonderfully saved by grace through faith, that not of themselves, it is the gift of God. They yield their members' servants to what? Righteousness. And righteousness is, de is defined in Scripture as obedience to the commands of God. And, of course, there are motives out of love for God. Evangelical obedience. Uh, evangelical obedience is that loving obedience to the truth of God and the law of God, which mourns the consequences of indwelling sin, rejoices in the blessing of God upon his truth to the soul and the outworkings of these things in our lives. Life, that they are life to you and health to all your flesh. Setting before you all these things. And so the objective application of the scripture in this context is this. There is the objective application of the truth of God as it relates to every aspect of the Christian life and every aspect of scripture. And in this case, doctrine is in the context of what? Our understanding of the use and application of the moral law of God. And then if we turn over to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy, chapter 4. 2 Timothy, chapter 4. In fact, sorry, we're just going to go back to 1 Timothy, um, 
First Timothy chapter four first, and then we'll go to Second Timothy chapter four. We'll just we'll we'll keep going in order. First Timothy chapter four from verse one, um, and we're going to read to verse five. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats or types of food, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God and with prayer. Now, without going into all the details concerning what Paul is, 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 push, is driving at in this passage, he equates, he equates, he describes as a doctrine of devils forbidding to marry. The Roman Catholic Church in forbidding its priests to marry is guilty of teaching a doctrine of devils, as, the Paul, as Paul puts it. It's devilish. Let's put it for what it is. Call it for what it is. But he goes on and says, in the same context and category is what? Forbidding to eat things that God has declared to be clean. Now, there's been a movement in the church, in certain branches of the church in our day, it's, has, it's, it's reared its head in times past, where there are branches of the church that say, you shouldn't eat pork, you've got to follow the Jewish dietary rules. Well, the Lord appeared to, to Peter and showed him a big, a big blanket, um, a, a big sheet full of all the kinds of animals and creatures that have, were, were forbidden of the Jews to eat, not forbidden of the Gentiles to eat, only by the Jews, as showing, and the reason for it was to set a distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles in the Old Testament economy. And Peter was expressly instructed by the Lord, and he said, what God hath cleansed, call not thou unclean. And so God had said, you may freely eat of all the creatures. You may freely eat of anything that is edible. That's the force. And to teach anything else is the doctrine of devils. That's how seriously he puts it. And so what we understand concerning those things is going to affect how we then live. Is it? Surely that follows. You're going to give thanks to God for all that he puts before you on your table. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be careful with our diets and that we can just eat willy-nilly vast quantities of anything we like. There are some things which are demonstrably harmful to the body if they're eaten in any significant quantity. There are others that have an intoxicating effect if they're, if they're consumed in anything other than moderate quantity. Alcohol is an example of that. But to say thou shalt not drink alcohol falls into this category of what Paul is speaking here. Now, you may freely choose not to if you so desire, and you may say it is wisest that you don't. That is entirely your prerogative, and you may well have a point. But when you cross that line to say thou shalt not, because it's evil, or you're sinning against God, you've crossed the line from a wise and sensible decision in certain circumstances to teaching the doctrine of devils. That's what it's saying. That's what the Bible's saying. That's the implication. And so when it comes to the keeping of the heart with all diligence, it means we're going to approach every aspect of life with great care, and we're going to bring every thought back captive 
to the word of God. Now we'll turn over to First Timothy, sorry, Second Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4. And in Second Timothy chapter 4, we have the charge given by the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Timothy has been ordained to the ministry set apart by the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. And he, he, uh, Paul has been giving him instruction in First and Second Timothy concerning his labours in the ministry, the responsibilities and all that he's going to be faced with and so on. And now in chapter 4 we see the charge given to Timothy. Um, so we're going to read verses um, 3... Uh, excuse me, <clears throat> three and four. So that's the context. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, that's the people having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. They shall, what does it say? They will not endure sound doctrine. Sound teaching. That teaching which encompasses all that is revealed in the scriptures. All that is revealed in the scriptures. And so the importance of not only being under sound doctrine, but testing what we hear by the word of God. And in the broader context of the passage we've, we've been looking at in Proverbs, the keeping of the heart with all diligence, a great aid and help to us will be sound doctrine, a sound understanding of what the Bible teaches and how we should then live, and so on. One reason that uh, I'm planning, God willing, on uh, commencing an exposition of First John, the whole of the, the whole of the epistle, it is because in First John we have the objective we set before us, the objective. Um, the objective basis uh, and standard of judging whether we're not a Christian, that your joy may be full. First of all, are we or are we not a Christian? If we are a Christian, well then what aspects of our Christian lives do we need to work on? Where are we sinning? Where are we, where are we going to the left hand? Where are we going to the right hand? Um, and you'll see that in the first epistle of John, all of the, all of the evidences given by the Apostle John are objective. And they're based on a sound and careful exegesis of what is taught in Scripture concerning these things. I'm not going to go into any more of it, any more about that now. But in terms of First, Second Timothy, chapter four, and uh, the exhortation to Peter, to Timothy, sorry, the, the charge to Timothy, they will not endure sound doctrine. And so we have to be very careful because there are days when we're going to come across passages in the scriptures that are going to cut right across what we think or what we have thought or what we've taught or what we've believed and it might be for decades. And it's going to be a hard thing and we're going to have to say, well, I've actually got to stop doing this because sound doctrine demonstrates that I've been wrong. Or I've got to start doing something. I trust that we can look back over our Christian lives and we might blush at some of the things we once allowed and we might cringe at some of the things we once forbade. And as we've realised more and more what it is to live a sanctified, godly life, maybe the Lord's delivered us from the doctrines and commandments of men and Pharisaism. Maybe God has delivered us from libertinism. In other words, 
Let go and let God. Live as you please. It doesn't matter. Christ has saved you and all will be well in the end. Maybe in our sanctification we've been preoccupied with a passive view of things. Well, I can't help it. Yeah, of course I speak in ways that I shouldn't speak or I think things I shouldn't. I can't help it. That's just me. And we realize, hang on a minute. That's, the Bible says you've actually got to mortify these things and put them to death. They will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap up to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. And the end result of those things is misery and potentially eternal death. Sound doctrine. In the keeping of the heart, there is to be the understanding of the things the Bible teaches. Now, I've not gone into the depths and details of what that doctrine precisely is. That's for another day. But there are two more things, two more passages we must look at before we go over to the book of Acts and look at what the Apostle Paul did himself. First of all, in Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. Paul here is dealing with, this is one of the two places where the qualifications for the pastoral ministry, the teaching eldership are particularly set out. Um, and uh, uh, particularly set out as being prescriptive, not descriptive. These things must be. And then he says in verse 9, these men who are, going to, who are to be ordained to the pastoral ministry, once you've sorted out the, 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 their marriage and their family and their character, there is another thing that you're going to have to sort out, Titus. And Paul says to him, um, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers, for there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things, which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. That's greed of gain. For greed of gain. But notice what this man of God is to be. He's to be a man of sound doctrine, and his doctrine must be tested by the word of God. Without going into details, there was a question asked of Pastor Lacey yesterday that revolved right around these things, and a statement was made to determine whether or not he held to a proper and biblical view of a particular point. And his answer demonstrated that he does. He is a man of sound doctrine. And uh, we've seen that in evidence not only in, in our interviews, but also in our interaction with him. And so the, the Apostle Paul here is emphasizing sound doctrine and the importance of sound doctrine and the help to the people of God and the man of God being able to set before the people um, the great truths of the word of God are not the great truths simply as theolo uh, 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 theological, or, uh, uh, theological theories or in some theoretical and esoteric way, but saying this is what it means. We speak of the effect effectual work of Christ. We speak of the efficacy of his death. We speak of particular redemption, that he died for a specific people, a vast number that no man can number but a fixed and certain number. What's it mean to you? It means that if you're saved, you were numbered amongst that number that he represented, and he is your righteousness. And God has accepted what he did on Calvary's cursed tree on your behalf, as if you were the only person that existed, 
in that decree to save a people from their sins, that Christ loved you and gave himself for you, and the guilt of your sin is put away, and it will never rise against you in judgment and unto condemnation. That's what it means. That's a doctrine, particular redemption. It has direct and particular application to us as Christians. And it should increase our hope and greatly strengthen us in the inner man to know that I'm accepted by God, not because of anything I can or will do or have done, but because of everything that Christ has done for me. And I receive all of that, all the benefits of that, by faith alone, which faith is the gift of God. You see, that's doctrine. That's sound doctrine. And it has an effect upon the soul. And it should encourage us to say, well, if the Lord has so saved me, I want to please him. And one of the ways I can please him is by keeping my heart with all diligence. Moving on then to chapter 2. The Apostle Paul, in, first, in chapter 1, verse 5, commands Titus to set in order the things that are lacking, and he names two things. He names two things that were lacking in the church in Crete. There was a lack of elders, teaching elders, pastors amongst the people, ordained elders in every place, and set in order the things that are lacking. There were things lacking in the lives of the Christians who lived in Crete. The gospel had come to them. It's evident that quite a significant number of them had been converted. Men, there were men and women in their families, husbands and wives with children in their families who had been saved for long enough for the gifts and graces and qualifications for the pastoral eldership to be evident amongst them. They had been taught sound doctrine through the preaching of the word of God. We're not told specifically who had taken the gospel to them. That's not the point at issue. The point at issue is it had gone to them. It had been made effectual. But then Paul in Titus chapter 2 deals with the things that are lacking. Keep the heart with all diligence. Make sure that these things that Paul identifies as lacking amongst, uh, amongst, the, um, amongst the Cretans are not lacking in your own life. He says, verse 1, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. And then he explains a great big long list through the chapter of the things that, that become sound doctrine, that flow from the, a proper understanding of the teaching of the word of God and the application of it in daily life. And then Paul goes and says, aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, charity, aged women likewise, and so on. And he goes right through a great big long list. He addresses young women, older women, he addresses young men, older men, he addresses Titus himself, and he sets before them the things that become sound doctrine, that flow from sound doctrine. So where, 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 are we t where is all this leading us? Well, it's leading us in this direction to understand that in the objective application of the word of God, which is essential to every aspect of life, there must be the time taken to understand what that word teaches and then to apply it in daily life out of love for Christ and understand that we only know part today of what we one day will know I trust we know more of the word of God and of communion with Christ today than we once knew. Speaking personally, when I was converted, though I'd been brought up in a Christian home, if you had quoted to me John 3.16, I could have told you, yes, that's in the Bible, but could I have found it? Probably not. 
to my shame. Well, I can find it now, so at least I've gained that much, if nothing else. So the, but the point is, you see the point. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. The objective study and understanding of the Scriptures applied to daily life is a primary means of the keeping of the heart in utter dependence upon the Lord for grace to help in time of need, upon the Holy Spirit to be our teacher and to open the eyes of our understanding and to make the truth of God effectual to our hearts. And that's what Paul's driving at here. You want to confute the gainsayers, and they need confuting, those who are leading men and women astray, sometimes with damning heresies. In other words, if you believe the things they teach, you're going to end up in hell. That's what we mean by a damning heresy. And there are some prevalent even in our own community of which we are aware. It's a tragedy. But they have to be silenced. And the thing that will silence them is sound doctrine. That's the means that God uses, the teaching that is according to his word. Moving on then, we're nearly done. Back to, back to the book of Acts and to chapter 20. The book of Acts, chapter 20. In the book of Acts, chapter 20, it's a part of scripture I often refer to um, because in it we have a defense of the Apostle Paul's ministry amongst the Ephesians, and it's a defense to the elders of the church at Ephesus. He calls the elders of the church at Ephesus over to Miletus. It is generally understood that subsequent to the labors uh, 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 during and subsequent to the labors of the Apostle Paul in Miletus, somewhere between, sorry, in Ephesus, somewhere between 50 and 60,000 people were saved in a pagan, idolatrous, godless community. That might sound like a description of, of places you're familiar with. Well, what did Paul do? Well, we're told, first of all, in verse 19, Acts chapter 20, verse 19. He says, um, and we'll just read the end of, end of verse 18, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the laying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. The first step on the way to the keeping of the heart with all diligence is to make sure we're saved. That's the first step upon that way. Faith in living faith in a living saviour. And he saw that and he knew that it was the testimony of repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And in those few words is the summary of the gospel. Repentance from sin, faith toward Christ. Repentance toward God, faith toward Christ. Apprehending the mercy of God in Christ. And then in verse 20, sorry, then in verse 26, he says, Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have shunned not to declare unto you all the counsel of God. He went to great pains to teach what the scriptures taught. 
teach. He went to great pains to set before the people the great truths of the word of God. We live in an anti-intellectual age. We live in an age of a great deal of subjectivism. Everybody wants to be happy and feel joyful, and anything that's said that upset them, somehow or other that you're either vilifying them or you hate them or there's some other imprecation brought against you. Well, that's not what the Word of God teaches. Yes, there are things which upset us, and we probably need upsetting when we hear them. There are things we don't like to hear. We probably need to hear them. There are things that cut across what we think is reasonable, well, maybe they need to cut across what we think is reasonable. And I've got three fingers pointing back at myself. So the point is that the Apostle Paul kept back nothing that was profitable from the people. He shunned not to declare the whole counsel of God, and he made it his business to make sure that the people under his ministry were well instructed and that they would then, by the grace of God, keep their hearts with all diligence, for out of them are the issues of life. And so that's why we emphasize the necessity of teaching what the Bible teaches and setting before the people the doctrines that are taught in the word of the living God. Well, moving on then, there are just two more points, both of them I'm going to deal with briefly, because one of them in particular we're going to come back to later on, God willing. And we're going to turn now to Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. And um, the, they, the, the, the context here is um, the Jews had come to the Lord and it says, by what authority do you do, do you do these things? And now see how he deals with them. So Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, verse um, 27. And they come again to Jerusalem, that's the Lord and the, and the apostles, the disciples. And as he was walking in the temple... They come to him, that is, to the Lord, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, and say unto him, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority to do these things? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I will also ask of you one question, and answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Answer me. And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we should say from heaven, he will say, Why then did ye not believe him? But if we shall say of men, they feared the people, for all men counted John that he was a prophet indeed. And they answered and said unto Jesus, We cannot tell. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he said, why have we read that passage of scripture? What's that got to do with the keeping of the heart with all diligence, laying up the words and the sayings in our hearts, keeping them before our eyes, meditating, uh, keeping them in our hearts, maintaining them before our eyes, inclining our ear unto these things, taking heed to the truth of God as we've been seeing over in Proverbs. Well, what's happened here? One of the, a, a great trap that many, many, many people fall into, Christians and non-Christians alike, and that is arguing from second principles. Arguing from first principles is, this is what the Word of God teaches, that is what therefore we must do, and the consequences we are going to leave entirely in God's hands. I must do what is right 
and leave the consequences in God's hands. But what these men were doing was they were arguing from second principles. They said, well, by what authority do you do these things? They knew he'd be, the Lord had been set apart in his baptism to his public office, his, to his public ministry. He knew that the ordinance of the Old Testament economy concerning the setting apart of a priest had been, um, ha had been fulfilled in Christ's baptism. It was, not the baptism of, it was not the baptism of repentance that he was baptized with. It was the baptism that set him apart to the work that God had given him to do. Numbers chapter 8, verse 5 and following, sprinkled with water, the water of separation, and all that that implies. I'm not going into that now. They knew all of these things. And they said it had been said of him elsewhere that he spoke as one having authority and not as the scribes and the Pharisees. That also was true. And now they're trying to catch him out. So, well, by what authority are you doing these things? And he said, well, I'm going to ask you a question. By what authority did John do what he did? Now, they knew full well that, God, that John did what he did with the authority of God. And they knew full well that he showed all the evidences of being a servant of God and speaking the truth of God in love. They knew all of that. But what did they do? They then said, well, if we say this, he's going to do that. And if we say the other thing, then the people are going to, do, are going to get at us. That's thinking from second principles. They were thinking from the consequences of their actions that they wanted to avoid. They wanted to avoid the hard question by the Lord. What do they say? Um, he said, if we say from heaven, then he will say, why didn't you believe him? They were dead right. Yes, they were thinking from second principles. They were wrong in that. Well, we don't want to say this because if we do, he's going to ask us that. And we don't want him to ask us that because we know we're in breach of what we're asking. And we don't want to be reminded of it. And then the other way he says... And if we say it as of men, then the people are going to say, well, you're, you're totally wrong, that's nonsense. The man is clearly a prophet sent from God. That's arguing from second principles and is trying to avoid the consequences of obedience to the word of God. And people do it all the time. Oh, if I say this to my son, he's going to rebel. Oh, if I do this in my marriage, this is going to happen. If I exercise biblical church discipline in the church and hold people to account, corrective, restorative discipline, that's biblical church discipline, then the people are going to rebel. A very good friend of mine found himself in that circumstance in a church where there was a very serious problem arose. And he said to the elders, I think there was a bit of prevarication amongst some of them, and he said, well, this is what the word of God says, and out of love for Christ, this is what we're going to do, and they did it. And they actually gave the person his marching orders, excommunicated him. And I said, well, what was the consequence? He said, peace broke out in the church. Everything that people thought might have happened, the exact opposite happened. Why? Because they honoured the Lord. And so when it comes to the keeping of the heart with all diligence, there are going to be times when we're going to have to make what are going to be very hard and unpleasant decisions about what we do, what we say, what we think, where we go, even with whom we associate, if necessary. And we can think of all sorts of reasons. Many a young lady has fallen foul of charlatans because they've wooed them and they say, oh, well, Mum, I'll just, I can probably, I'll bring the gospel to him. That's what I'll do. That's thinking from second principle. Oh, maybe God will save him and then it'll all be all right. Or maybe God will, but maybe God won't. 
The Bible says, be not unequally yoked. That's the end of the discussion. Once you're married, you're married. But before you're married, don't make that choice of an unequal yoke. When you are married, you're married, and that's it. But the point is this, people keep on arguing from second principles, not from first principles. What saith the scripture, that's the ground of safety. And of course it's by the grace of God, and of course there are going to be times where it's difficult, and there are going to be times where we're going to have to make some hard decisions, and there are times where we're going to have to say, well, I once enjoyed doing this or that, but I I can't do that anymore because to do it leads me down a path of sin. And there are times even when there are activities that are legitimate, that are matters indifferent, that for one man or one woman, those things must be left off, lest they fall into sin. So, arguing from first principles, not second principles. Acting from first principles, not second principles. Keeping the heart with all diligence by the gracious, loving application of the truth of God in simplicity. Final point, and very briefly, and that is the necessity of the active, conscious keeping of the heart against sin. We're going to turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 11, and when we come to, um, when we come to verse 25 of chapter 4, I'm going to go back to chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, and we're going to look at, this, uh, at some of the things in this chapter in detail. But we're just going to read a few verses. So, verse 2. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look on. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of um, Eliam? the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And David sent messages and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David, and said, I am with child. And then David conspires in the murder of her husband, the death of her husband. First of all, he tries to get his husband to go into his wife, unto his wife, and he doesn't for honourable reasons at the time, and then David, um, David seeks to get him drunk, and then David uh, conspires to have him left in the field of battle and guilty of murder in at least the third degree. Now, why have we read this passage? Because in the keeping of the heart with all diligence, David fell into sin because there were five steps that he took. He saw what he should have done is immediately averted his eyes and gone to Bathsheba's husband and says, look, you may not be aware of it and your wife might be aware of it, but you can actually see what she's doing when she's bathing on the housetop. Could you please have a word with her about it so that she's not exposing herself inadvertently? There's no question mark whatsoever over the moral integrity of Bathsheba. So David looked. He then inquired, who is it? He then sent for her. He then invited her into his room, and the rest is tragic history. There were five steps in David's sin, and at any given point in time, if he had simply obeyed the seventh commandment and simply done what Solomon says in verse 25, let thine eyes look right on and let thine eyelids look straight before thee, 
Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Solomon would never have been born of Bathsheba and the child that was born would never have died. Or maybe Solomon might have been born, but she would have continued with her husband. Now, God overruled that sin and that does not in any sense justify the sin. But you see, keeping the heart with all diligence requires objective, careful application of objective truth. You want to avoid the sin of adultery? Well, it starts with the eyes and the thoughts of the heart. That's where it starts. And if you're not serious, if you're not serious about keeping your heart with all diligence in these terms, you're not serious about the Christian life. That's what it, that, that's what it fundamentally boils down to. And so, God willing, next Lord's Day, we're going to, going to start looking at verse 23 in detail the keeping of the heart with all diligence. And what I've sought to do over the last eight weeks is to lay a foundation so we've got an objective basis to proceed with understanding. So we're not groping around in the dark for what's it mean. We're not dealing with conjecture and opinions of men. We're seeking to come back to the application of the word of God. Now, what's the great encouragement in these things? My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness, says the Lord. What's the great encouragement? The Lord said, without me ye can do nothing. And what did Paul say? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so, in the mortification of sin, in the keeping of the heart, in the pleasing of the Lord, grace to help in time of need is promised in great abundance. So ever be, ever be coming back to the Lord, pleading for repentance, for grace to repent and for grace to obey out of right motive because that's one of the things we're going to be dealing with is what's our motive? If you love me, keep my commandments. And I trust we'll see as we go on and I hope we've already begun to see that there's a clear-cut objective basis for all these things. The means that we need are given us freely in the word of God. The grace and the strength that we need is freely given and promised by God. So we're not left to our own devices. It's not let go and let God and wonder why we fall into all sorts of sin. It's not Pharisaism wearing ourselves out in doing something we've no ability in and of ourselves to do. But these two things come together in a proper understanding of how God works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. Remember what he says in Philippians chapter 2. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's not where it stops, for it is God that works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. And it shows that all we are and all we have is the, work, is the result of the work of God and him enabling us to do what he requires us to do. So be encouraged, friends and brethren. Be encouraged to see the objective application of the word of God in every aspect of life. It's a great barrier to sin. It's a great encouragement to righteousness. And it's the great means that God has given to direct us how we then should live, glorifying and enjoying him. Amen. Well, let us stand to pray. Our gracious and eternal Father, we thank thee and bless thee for thy great mercy that thou hast said, work out thy salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God that worketh in you to will and to do of his good pleasure.
And oh, we thank thee, our Father, for thy mercy and the great promises in thy word. Grant us grace to repent of our sin, to repent of our neglect of the keeping of our hearts, and enable us to behold thy glory. Oh, do thou bless thy truth to us, and enable us to be doers of thy word. We thank thee for thy presence with us. Go up with us when we go up from this place, and enable us to be turning unto thee, confessing and forsaking our sin, and obtaining mercy from thy hand. Hear us then, we plead, and love us freely with that especial love that thou dost bear toward thine own. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, we're going to sing to God's praise, verses 23 to 29 of Psalm 105. The people then of Israel down into Egypt came, and Jacob also sojourned in the land of Ham, and he did greatly by his power increase his people there, and stronger than their enemies they by his blessing were. To God's praise 23 to 29 of Psalm 105. The people then of Israel down into Egypt came, and Jacob also sojourned within the land of Ham, and he did greatly by his power increase his people there and stronger than their enemies they by his blessing were their heart eternity folk maliciously with those that his own servants were to deal in subtlety his servant Moses he did send a Wonders great in Ham's land were made known. Darkness he sent and made it dark. His word they did Let us stand for the benediction. 
And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all.